All right, Romans, the 12th chapters, I want to take a look at in the uh, New Testament today. Last week and uh, so far this year, we've been talking a lot about what it means to be a church, to be a church family, and we want to be focusing on that. Uh, Last week, I was talking about some of the uh, visualizations or examples to describe what a church is. We read from Peter, who said, you know, we're like a bunch of bricks. And, uh, you know, one brick by itself doesn't seem to be all that terribly impressive, but you get a bunch of bricks together and pretty soon you get, wow, what a nice place. This is very impressive. And that's the way we should be as Christians, as, as a church, a body of Christ. We may not all be terribly impressive on an individual level. I said, if you just feel kind of like a brick, welcome to the family. Because built together, we start making something that way. Then we talked about uh, the uh, imagery that Paul used, which was that we are like the human body. We all have varying parts they don't all look the same they don't all do the same thing but they all belong to one another and together we make a body and i want to look closer at his uh picture here and put it more in context and really hear what paul has to say about this idea of what it means to be a church to be a fellowship a community of believers so we'll start in verse 3 of romans 12 he says for by the grace given me i say to every one of you Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Why would he have to say that? Because that's the human tendency. We tend to think we are quite fabulous, you know. And oftentimes people get a little bloated vision of their importance. They can't imagine the world going on without them. You know, without me, you'll never make it, you know, that kind of thing. And he's saying, look, don't think in those terms, you know. He says, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. And then he uses the analogy, this is what we read last week, just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to the others. And then he goes through and he starts giving examples of the types of differing members we have in a christian community in a church like ours Uh, it's not an exhaustive list i'm sure there's many other versions of this but he starts to give as examples he says we have differing gifts according to the grace given to us if a man's gift is prophesying and uh, when it talks about prophesying it doesn't mean predicting the future Uh, when the bible talks about prophesying it, it means divine utterance. In other words, God-inspired speech. Something that someone will come to you and say something uh, that will speak into your life. And it's really God using that person to speak to you. Uh, it might be a word of encouragement. It might be uh, a scripture. Uh, this morning, before the services, uh, someone came to me and said, You know, I, I have a scripture I want to read to you. And they, they spoke the word of God to me and encouraged me. Uh, And that is prophesying. In a sense, when a pastor or someone's speaking uh, and preaching, they are prophesying. If they're being led of the Holy Spirit, and they're speaking God-inspired words to people. Now, it's a little bit different uh, than one-on-one. That's very direct. This is much broader, obviously, and everybody's in a different uh, state uh, in their spiritual walk. But oftentimes, they'll sit in a service, and someone will be speaking, and all of a sudden, it's like, wow, that hits me. You know what I'm saying? It's like, so the pastor will be preaching and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, were you bugging our house? You know, how how did you know I was going through that? You know, what is that? That's God speaking to you through people. 
This is what the Bible talks about prophesying. So he says, if your gift is prophesying, speaking God-inspired words to people, then go for it. Okay? Uh, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, if your gift is just helping people, serving people, and that can be everything from handing out communion trays to greeting people coming in the door to helping watch little rugrats on the other end of the building so you can come in here and worship God. By the way, if you are one of those who benefits from such service, uh, make sure you serve once in a while too. Cut them some slack, okay? If everybody just put in a little bit of time, it wouldn't be much of a chore for anybody. But to take the time and, and to serve and to help people. So if it's serving, then let him serve. If it's teaching, if your gift is teaching and showing people and explaining, maybe you're one of these people who would teach a class, a new believers class or a membership class or something. If that's your gift, some people are just really good at it, making things clear that might be a little complicated, then great, man, go with that, is what he's saying. Maybe it's encouraging. Verse 8, if it's encouraging, then, then encourage. Some people, that's their spiritual gift. They may not really know a whole lot about anything. They may not be able to rattle off all the deep spiritual truths of the Bible and know all that, but yet they are encouragers. These are the kind of people they come along and they say just the right word at the right time to, man, lift your spirit, pull you out of whatever funk that you're in. I love, I love people that come and encourage me. You know, they may not think it's a big deal what they're doing, but listen, when you're struggling, you're down and someone encourages you, that's your gift, their gift, that's a wonderful thing. And, uh, and he says, man, if that's what you do, okay, remember, he's using the analogy of the body. Not everybody does something that's super, totally dramatic. You know, you know, you got the eyes, those are kind of impressive, you know, but then you got innards, you know, nobody sees the innards, you know, a spleen, what do you do with a spleen? You know, it seems like not all important, but, uh, you know, some of you might feel like an appendix, just rip me out, you know, whatever the deal is, but, but we all make up and it's, they don't all look the same and your gift, even though it might be small, is still important is what he's trying to say. Uh, when you're part of the body of Christ, the, 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 the uh, organism called the church. Uh, then he goes on, he says, if it's contributing to the needs of others, then let him give generously. Some people, that's their gift. There's some people, they're just really good at making money. I mean, they understand business. It comes naturally to them. They're smart investors. They seem to just be super blessed. This oftentimes is a gift from God, believe it or not. Now, obviously, there's some people that do it and they're just, you know, greedy people and they'll do it at the expense of others. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who really have a gift from God to succeed financially. And why would God bless them in such a way? Because they're givers and they're generous people. And he says, if, you're, if you've got that gift of generosity, man, then go for it. God often blesses people that we call them uh, financial champions in the church. It doesn't make them more important than anybody else. It doesn't buy them influence. And you know, there's churches that that's like that. The more money you got, the more you have have to say we've never played that game and we're not going to ever play that stupid game but if you are humble enough to say you know hey god is using me and he's blessing me and i'm a financial champion in this place that's great that's fabulous he says so so go with that he says if it's leadership then let him govern diligently some people are just natural born leaders maybe it's showing mercy being very kind and, and and helping people who maybe have failed terribly and encouraging them. Then this is all great. Now, I want to back up and I want to read this 
uh, and, and listen to the way he's saying these things. He says, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. The word you keep hearing over and over again here is let him. Now one of the things that we need to be careful as leaders in the church is that we let you do the things God's called you to do. That we let you do the different ministries and stuff. Oftentimes, uh, we can get so rigid in the way that we approach things that if you come along and it doesn't really fit into our box, then you can get squelched spiritually. And uh, we want to be very careful not to do that. We need all the parts of the body of Christ to come alive. And as leaders and stuff, we need to be aware. And some of you who are leading in different departments, some of you lead life groups, some of you have different ministries in the church, uh, some of them leaders actually, they listen to this uh, message later by CD because they're not in here because they're serving. But they need to be aware all the time of people around them that are stepping forward. A lot of times you get an insecure leader, as soon as someone steps up, they squash them like a bug. You know, you know, and, and you're not supposed to do that. The Bible says if they have this guest, you're supposed to let them. Let them do it. Let them grow. Let them flourish. Let them. And again, as leaders of the church, we have to constantly, and again, whatever department you are that you're involved in, keep an open eye. Look around. See who God is raising up. See who has different gifts. We, one of the best things we can do is identify the gifts that you have. Some of you sitting here have great, wonderful things that you can be bringing to this congregation. And maybe you haven't felt like you can bring your gifts or maybe someone to squash that. If that's the case, that needs to stop. But we need to get into a mindset around here is if you've got something to give, let them do it. All right, now, having said that, you have to understand there needs to be some structure in the church. You just can't let... Anybody who walks in off the street, just start doing stuff. You know, otherwise you'll start having the inmates running the asylum around here. <laughs> Are you hearing me? Okay. So there needs to be some structure. Don't get freaked out by the structure. Now, if it's normal structure, don't go, oh, they wouldn't let me do what I want as soon as I came up with this idea. Just chill out a little bit. Just work within the structure as well. We need to make sure we're letting people grow in, in areas. But we also need to make sure that we are allowing people to have influence and do things in the church that can help. But that they're good people and they're solid people on solid ground. Particularly if they're going to be leaders in any area. And I want you to know that when people come to me and they say, well, you know, I feel I should be leading this way or I have this. The one thing I look at more than anything is their lives. Who are they personally? I'm not really all that impressed with how much people know. You know, a lot of people, they know a lot about the Bible. They really do. They're quite brilliant. I don't know, brilliant. I know all about it. I'm very brilliant. But they can't stand their wives. Are you hearing me? All right? For you, that's a ah. Okay? Your children hate you. That's a problem for me. You can't stand your husband. You wish he'd die and go to hell. 
I'm not exaggerating. I've literally heard that phrase before. That person is a little longer in ministry here. She doesn't come to church here anymore. I'm a little too harsh for her. But when you're in charge of a ministry and your goal with your family is, I wish my husband would die and go to hell. I got a problem with that. I mean, come on, people. If we can't live this stuff at home, then we aren't really living it. I don't care about the games. Let's stop the games. Let's be real for crying out loud. I don't care how much you know, how smart I am. I am so smart. Yeah, whoop these stinking do for you. Are you living this out? So we'll be looking at people's lives. You need to really live this out in your personal life. You know, if your personal life, and it's, it's amazing how many people tend to be incredibly spiritual and boast of great spirituality. See if this is not, some of you guys who've been Christians for a long time, see if this is not true. Some of the people who claim the greatest amount of revelation and spiritual insight, their personal lives are in the toilet all the time. They can't keep their relationships together. They can't get anything done. Their finances are a disaster. Everything's got... Hey! When I look at people's spirituality, I look at their lives first. What is your life? Has God really... Have you been really living this stuff out and experiencing it in your life? Is your life together? That's the number one thing. You got that, then we're open to whatever, man, because we need it all. All right, now he goes on. In, uh, in Romans here, and he continues to speak about this idea of the church and all being various parts together, making up one organism. And he continues to say, okay, so if you've got these gifts, do the gifts that God's put in your heart. Okay, step forward and, and, and offer these things. But, uh, you know, we need to let you, and, but things need to be done right. But then he goes on and he says, now, The next thing that's really important for all this to work, this body to work, is he says, love, love must be sincere, genuine love. Now, if if there's one thing that, you know, after the, you know, last couple of months that we went through with uh, cutting the budgets and stuff, and by the way, things are fine now. We just had to get things in order. Uh, You know, our rumors of our deaths are very premature I can assure you we're just fine but uh but some of the changes that came in and and you remember as I was preaching and telling you we we have to make these changes we're going to make these changes we need to make these changes and everybody looked at me went and I said but when I do it some of y'all gonna get mad not me and then we did it some people just went crazy and got mad and these were people who one week say I love you and then two days later, I hate you. Excuse me? You mean to tell me that's all it takes? A personnel change, a budget decision, right or wrong. But that, that's all it takes for you to go from I love and I cherish and I appreciate this place and this is my family to I hate all of you? That is a problem. And if anything, it is shown that we're not nearly as strong of a church as we think we are. And obviously the church is still full and things are going great. But when you lose a bunch of people because things didn't go exactly their way, it shows that we haven't really taught this as much as we need to teach. Love needs to be real. It needs to be sincere. It needs to be based more on just what I want, when I want it, the way I want it. 
And to say, I love you, what they're really saying is I like you because I get what I want out of you. You hear what I'm saying? I love this church. No, what you really mean is I like this church because everything goes just the way I like it right now. Well, who cares about that? How about real love? How about real commitment? And of course, we see this a lot. You know, I speak a lot on marriage and family and stuff around the country, but people are just, they're so narcissistic. They want what they want, when they want it. If they can't get it, they're just getting mad as hornets. And I'm I'm stunned at how many people that come to me, as I get emails from all over the world, literally, you would think that most of the marriage stuff that I deal with are people who've been married for a long time and are just driving each other crazy. This is pretty normal, right? If you've been married for a long time, you're driving each other crazy, welcome to the family. (laughs) All right? Come talk to me. I, I got no problem. I like talking to those people. All right? You would think, you know, it's, you know, they're just getting on my nerves or we've just, we've drifted apart or we're empty nesters now. We're kind of adjusting that, that, all that normal stuff. That's not most of what I get. The overwhelming body of information and emails I get are from people who've been married for like 12 months and we're in hell. Eight months and we're in hell. Six weeks I got married. And we're in hell. Good Lord, it should take you years to get to hell. How you getting to hell in 12 months? Are you kidding me? Oh, Mary, he turned out to be this thing. You didn't see this during the dating process? What drugs are you smoking for crying out loud? I mean, seriously. You know, he's real quiet. I just make it because he's real quiet. You didn't notice he was quiet when you were dating him? I'm mad. I can't stand it because I, I just hate her mom. Her mom's driving me crazy. She wasn't driving you crazy before you married her? Seriously, people think when you're doing this stuff. But all of it boils down to this one thing. They're happy. They're thrilled. Ah-ha! Someday my prince will come. And then you married him. He turned out to be a bum. You know, I mean, come on. You start and, and you're miserable and you're so mad within just months. It's because people are so puke and selfish. I want what I want the way I want it. And I thought it was going to be this way and it's not this way. Come on. What kind of love is that? It's easy to love people that do everything you want. How many of you find that rather easy? Seriously, I'd love you all a lot more if you did everything I wanted. (laughs) Come on. Real love is when they're not doing everything you want. And you still love them. Real love is when they're irritating you. Real love is when they're irritating you. And you look at them in the middle of the night and you decide not to smother them to death. That, that is love. Real love isn't when she's batting her eyes at you and making you feel pretty. Real love is when she's sick on the couch and she's puking in a bucket. 
on your brand new CD that fell in there. <laughs> That's love. Come on. I love you, pastor, as long as you don't do anything I don't like. What kind of love is that? I love this church as long as I get to do what I want to do, what I want to do. We need to be careful. And don't misunderstand. I'm not trying to criticize or be mean to people and things are the way they are, but we've got to get past, past a mercenary mentality in the Christian community. You know, I love you as long as you pay me. Quit paying me, I hate your guts. What the heck is that? I love you as long as I'm in charge of this ministry. And if you don't let me be in charge of this ministry, I hate this church now. Hello? Come on. Really, when we really love people, it, we should have to work really hard to get rid of you. <laughs> Are you hearing me? It should not be easy to get rid of you people. Why? Because we love each other. We're stuck to each other. <laughs> we should have exercises on how to get rid of people. That's what we ought to do. <laughs> but no, if you breathe wrong, pew, out the door. If you sneeze wrong, pew, out the door. If you don't look at them just the right way or say something you don't want to say, or you do something the way they don't like to do it, pew. <laughs> that is not love. We need to love each other and it needs to be real. And you know it's real when someone ticks you off and you still love them. When they do something you don't like, it makes you mad as a hornet and you still love them. That's love. And clearly, we have failed this test at some degree, but it's going to be okay. We're going to grow. We're going to get stronger at this. Let me read the rest of this verse and I'll end it. And we'll pick it up again next week. I want to continue to read that. I want want to show you what he's talking about when he's talking about being part of this organism. He says, hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Cling to what is good, that makes sense. But sometimes people struggle with this hate what is evil deal. It doesn't mean to hate people. Okay? You need to love the sinner but still hate the sin. We need to be careful that we don't just hate people. I'm amazed at how many times I get questions about you know pastor i shouldn't have to do this with these people should i because they're just they're evil people they're your in-laws i don't care they're evil (laughs) do i have to go yeah how about you just be nice i shouldn't have to be nice you know look i love christians you know this they justify being mean and ornery as they can possibly be there's got to be a verse in here somewhere that says i can hate people there's got to be yes it's got to be Clearly, they've never met my mother-in-law. There's got to be something in here. <laughs> Cling to us. When you hate evil, when people are doing bad things, just still be nice to them. Be kind. You don't have to accept the bad. You can challenge the bad. You got to go to some in-laws driving you crazy. You're going someplace and you can't leave your kids alone with them because they'll destroy them. You know, okay, so you got to watch out for it. But still, you can be nice to people be nice to your neighbors even the ones that are nasty even if he's drunk all the time yeah even if he's drunk all the time how about you love people someone asked me recently you know well pastor you know somebody invited me over their house but they're have dinner but but they're homosexuals they're homosexuals i shouldn't go over yeah how about you go over there how would you be nice to them 
How about you be kind? You know, I'll tell you what. The one way you can really speak into people's lives is when you are nice to them. What part of, I ain't going to have nothing to do with you, you sinner. What part of that makes you attractive to anybody? Remember Jesus, he came and he spent time with people nobody would spend time with. And they got mad at him about it. That Jesus, he's hanging around tax collectors and, and prostitutes and drunkards. and so What? He's lost his mind. Jesus said, no, no, no. It's not the well who need the physician, it's the sick. Did Jesus love their sin? No. He hated evil, as Paul said. But he knew how to love the sinner. When we start really loving people, despite their faults and failures, we start becoming a more effective member of the body of Christ. I'm going to invite the ushers to come, get ready to serve communion, and musicians can come back up. You know, if you're one of these people that, you know, maybe you're a member yet and you you don't know what kind of member you are yet. You know, am I a thumb? Am I a spleen? Am I a toe? I don't know yet, Pastor. I can't figure it. You know, it's okay. It's okay. Take time. Figure out where your gifts are. Oftentimes, it takes time. Man, I'm telling you, you're looking at a guy who took a long time to figure out what he's supposed to be doing. I am known as a late bloomer in life. I spent at least 30 years spinning in circles. I didn't know what was up and down. I tried everything and failed at most of it. So What? You know, part of the Christian community is it should be a place where you feel safe enough to fail. Right? It's okay. Get, you think, well, I, I think I should do this. And we let you do it and you fail. Don't freak out. Find something else. If you fail at that, well, what if I fail ten times? Well, you could be the next pastor of this church. You know, just, just, just keep going. Some of us, we fail a lot. Sometimes it just takes a while to figure out what, you know? We're not going to kick you out of the family because you make mistakes. There's one thing about a real church is you ought to be able to fail miserably and you're still okay with everybody. You know, Christians, you know, we're the only army in the world that shoots its wounded. You know what I'm talking about? You mess up, we shoot you. How dare you mess up? Man, in a real army... You get shot, we give you a medal. And you should have been ducking. You know what I'm saying? If we're fighting and I'm smart enough to duck and you get hit, you get the medal. How come I don't get the medal? I was ducking. Because we honor those who suffer and maybe we're doing the right thing and got wounded while doing it. How about we be like that? How about that kind of church? Well, we accept people and we love people and, and we grow together. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, wow, never quite heard anything like this before. You know, well, we're a little different, but this is the kind of church we want to be. My question to you this morning is, are you part of the body of Christ? Are you connected to Jesus? Have you really experienced his mercy and his grace in your life? That's what we're reflecting on now when we literally start thinking now about the body and the blood of Christ. His body was broken for us that we could be whole. His blood was shed so we could have forgiveness of sins. Have you really surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ? Because that's how you become a part of the family in the first place. I'm going to invite everybody to bow their heads in a word of prayer with me. I'm going to invite you.
to pray this prayer. And if you'll pray this prayer with me and really believe it from the bottom of your heart, you can become part of the family, God's family, and start to really experience God in your life. Not just know about him, but to really know him. Let's pray together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. And that you love me so much. You went to the cross. And you took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life. And to forgive me of my sins. I now surrender myself to you. Amen.